Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists and faculty members at Auburn University Harrison School of Pharmacy, and we are your hosts for the Postgraduate Pharmacist. On the Postgraduate Pharmacist, we focus on preparing and obtaining postgraduate training positions. From current events to expert advice, you'll have up-to-date content related to postgraduate training. New episodes are released every other Monday, so don't forget to like or subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or LinkedIn at the Postgraduate Pharmacist for additional discussions or insights into our topics. Over the last few episodes, we've been discussing things you can do right now as a student to help you in your journey to securing postgraduate training. This week, I wanted to take a step back and discuss the probability of doing so in order for our listeners to get a sense of the competition and maybe a few things that they could do to improve your chances. This is a very data-driven episode, so just fair warning. I love that all the info, too, is released literally the day of the match, and they're very transparent on ASHP's match website. I think it's important to be aware of the current trends in this data, so I'm glad we're talking about this. I agree, so why don't you get us started? Happy to do so. Let's just jump right to the chase. What is the probability of securing postgraduate training? Okay, I want to preface this with stating the fact that the information discussed today does not apply to fellowships. We will hopefully be diving more into those in fellowships in future episodes, but we don't really know the chances of of securing a fellowship since it is a separate process from the match. With that being said, this data covers combined stats from the phase one and phase two of the ASHP residency match. So looking at the numbers for PGY-1 programs this past cycle in 2021, there are almost 7,600 participants who registered for the match. And of those, only about 6,200 participated in the match. After it was all said and done, roughly 4,000 candidates matched with a PGY-1 program which resulted in a national match rate of 65%. So think about that. 65%, not an extremely high number, but Sean, do you want to explain that 65% and how it's calculated a little bit further? It's all an illusion. No, but in all seriousness, it's important to remember that the 65% match rate that stated only accounts for those that participated in the match. So you said 7,600, right, Taylor, registered for the match, but only 6,200 participated. So this 65% uses only that 6,200 as the denominator. So if you take the 4,000 that actually secured positions, divide that by the 6,200 that participated, that gives you that national match rate of 65%. But it doesn't account for those 1,400 other participants that you may or may not have to compete with for interviews. Right. And some of those may have decided to withdraw for other reasons, such as deciding residency wasn't for them, or maybe they found a different job. But it is more than likely that most of them did not return any rankings because they did not have any interviews. So just keep that in mind as you're considering the odds. So Sean, 
how does the data from last year compare to previous years, maybe over the last five years or so? Because you know me, I don't like to look just at one year of data. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. It's like when my students tell me a single blood pressure A1C. You know, you got to trend that data. So if you look at the past few years, what you actually see is a downward trend in match rate with the exception of this cycle. And there's a lot that went into this cycle, and there's a lot of variables with this cycle. We're not sure about this cycle. But, for example, in 2017, it was 67%. The year after that, it dropped to 65%, and then 64% the year after that. It dropped to a final low in 2020 to 63%. And like we were talking about earlier, it did rise by 2% in this last cycle back up to 65 Now, I'm hopeful this year is the turnaround year and we can head back to a match rate with more applicants securing residency positions. Yes, and I think the driving force behind the numbers seen this year is the continued upward trend of residency positions offered meaning more and more new programs are still being opened and programs are expanding, which is a good thing. Uh, We've also seen in past years the number of applicants participating in the match steadily increase, but this year it actually kind of leveled off and was similar to last year. So we'll see if that continues for the next few years. Like you said, I think this past match cycle was kind of an end of one in terms of uniqueness of it with the pandemic and everything. And there's a lot of other variables. So we'll see what happens, but hopefully match rates will continue to increase. I hope so too, Taylor. If you want to process the data yourself, if you're listening to this and you want to take a deep dive into the information that's available on ASHP website, we'll link our favorite data to the show notes. You can kind of follow along with what we like to do each year. Absolutely. So I want to switch gears a little bit, but before we do, you know what time it is. PGP (laughs) trivia. Yes. I love PGP trivia. I know you do. I'm going to get this one wrong. (laughs) Yeah, you probably will. Do you want to go ahead and ask your question first? All right. You put me on the spot. This is a little baseball trivia. So you're a baseball fan. I think you know what a perfect game is. There's been only... Since the World Series era, which started in 1903, there's only been 21 perfect games. No baseball player, pitcher, has ever thrown two perfect games. It's only been one. The last perfect game was in 2012. What was the team? You know, If you can name the player, I'll give you even a bonus point. But what was the team whose pitcher threw a perfect game in 2012? I feel like I might know this. Yeah, I can I can try to give you like some hints around it without trying to give you the like details about the team. I can tell you they were playing the Tampa Bay Rays so that eliminates one team. Something in me is saying that it's the Chicago White Sox, but I don't know if that's correct. The Chicago White Sox was in 2009 with Mark Burry. Is that how I say that? He threw a perfect game. Yeah, he threw a perfect game against the Tampa Bay Rays, too. Um, But no, it wasn't the Chicago White Sox. It was actually the Seattle Mariners. So my favorite baseball team. Oh, I should have known. Felix Hernandez. 113 pitches. 12 strikeouts. Felix Hernandez. Okay. I think I kind of remember that vaguely, but that's a long time ago. 
Okay. In the theme of this being a data-driven episode and the odds of securing postgraduate training, mine have to deal with the odds of experiencing certain events. So I'll ask you a question and I'm going to give you four answers. So you just tell me out of all of these possibilities, which event do you have the highest probability of experiencing? So the first one is dying in a shark attack. The next one is being killed in a plane crash. Next one is being struck by lightning. And then the last one is getting a royal flush on the first five cards dealt to you during poker. I'm pretty sure I heard it saying once that dying in a plane crash was equivalent to getting bit by a shark and struck by lightning at the same time. Like it's so rare to die in a plane crash that your odds of getting struck by lightning while getting bit by a shark are even higher. So I think I, I know for sure plane crash is the lowest. You know, a Royal Flesh, which with just the fact that it's 52 cards, I, I just feel like the odds of getting a Royal Flesh on the first draw will is probably higher than all of the other three because they're super like they're super rare. But without being able to discard any cards and get new cards, I mean, that's a Royal Flesh. I know it's like less than one percent, I think. But the other ones are it's super rare. So I'm going to say Royal Flush. You're very close, but just slightly off. Actually, the lowest or the highest probability that you have out of all of these is getting struck by lightning. Ah. So the CDC actually estimates that about in a given year, one in 500,000 might be struck by lightning. So the Royal Flush was actually about once in every... Uh, almost 650,000 hands played. So it's just slightly lower odds. Sorry, Sean, you didn't beat the odds, even though you had a one in four chance. Was I at least right about the airplane? Was <laughs> Yeah, the airplane was really low. It's like one in 11 million. Dying in a shark attack was like one in 3.7 million if you live live near a coastline or one in 7 million if you don't. All right, all right, let's move on and discuss a few things you can do to improve your odds of securing a residency position. Yes, I want to start out just by going over a few things program directors have said stand out to them and improve a candidate's chances according to them. So Sean, there's a few papers that have been published relatively recently in the, like within the last seven or so years that will link in the description or, or cite in the description. But what do RPDs say that improves candidates' chances? In a few separate surveys of RPDs, they were asked in one study to define characteristics of a successful resident, which could clue you into what you're looking for in pre-screening application materials. And another study asked them to rank qualities desired in a PGY-1 resident. So one study found some of the higher ranking qualities desired in a PGY-1 resident were a resident coming from a familiar college, having hospital work experience, not just general retail pharmacy or community pharmacy work experience, but hospital work experience, 
and leadership positions. In the other study, PGY1 RPDs ranked dependability, professionalism, self-motivation or initiative, and work ethic as important characteristics in a successful resident. Interesting. So I think these attributes especially are things that prospective applicants could think about in terms of thinking of examples of how they are displaying those certain characteristics, either during rotations, during their work experience and things like that. That's a great point and goes back to our other point about writing these things down. It, it all comes full circle. So what about objective predictors of matching? Yes. So there's been a few recent studies that have looked at different predictors of matching. We'll again, reference those in our show notes, but some of the common predictors that have been seen across these studies, which in various forms have used data from AACP, the graduating survey, um, the ASHP database were hospital work experience. So something that in our, like you mentioned previously, program directors stated that they desired. The age and reputation of the school attended. So this could include things like the research designation, if they're an R1 research institution, NAPLEX pass rates of the school, and just their overall ranking. But some others include student age, so younger students were more likely to match, and female gender. So really, not a whole lot of things that can be changed or updated now that you're in pharmacy school or on rotations, which is why I think focusing on your application as a whole and really making sure you find a good way to demonstrate how you display some of those soft skills that you identified in those other studies in your application, specifically your letter of intent, which we'll cover in detail in future episodes and interview will really give you the best chance. You mentioned soft skills again, Taylor. And when we were talking about those studies earlier, we mentioned things like dependability, professionalism, initiative, work ethic. And so those are some of those soft skills that are going to come out only when you're able to describe yourself in detail or when you're able to sit down on a, in an interview situation and really talk about yourself. It's hard to show those things on like your CV or paper. You, know, you can only you only say so much about what you actually did in a you know hour by hour, day by day basis. You can only kind of show these overall snapshots. So your I would say your focus now should be how do I make myself look good on paper, and at the same time, while on rotation thinking about how you're developing those soft skills. Well, what am I doing on rotation that's showing my work ethic? What are examples of things I've done on rotation that's showing that I have initiative, showing that I'm professional, showing that I have communication skills, but really trying to make yourself look good for the interview. Because if you don't get the interview, you're not going to have much of an opportunity to show any of these soft skills.
If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. Remember, you can listen to us on all major podcast apps. And don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode in the description below.